1: Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Road College Football Show. It's Stéphane LeCoe, joined with Jordan Hoover and Matt Whiskey, gentlemen. It is a pleasure, as always, to be on this lovely podcast with you on this very cold and dark day. Not in a figurative... Well, I mean, both. Both figuratively and literally cold and dark. We were talking a little bit about fantasy football beforehand, and it's 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 appropriate. <laughs>
3: I was about to say our weather here was actually kind of nice. We hit 50 today. It was it was kind of pleasant.
4: I must have the uh the colder end of the East Coast weather cuz it's it's uh really windy and a little bit chilly here and like uh like we said it's it's getting dark awfully early. Um and it's yeah, chill. like
2: like you said I think that I think
4: majority of us, two-thirds of us here need need sort of a Saints explosion tonight against Carolina, right?
1: Yeah, yes, yes. I'm just dead already, so we're good. (laughs) You've been (laughs) dead inside for a while, though, right? (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, You were talking about how it gets dark early. Do you guys watch the show Veep? It is fantastic, but one of the guys running for office, I think he's running for president, like his big, he's the biggest idiot in the world, but his big, like, push for what he wants to get done as president is to get rid of like daylight saving time and i'm telling you i would vote for any candidate if that's what they were promising because all the all the other promises are all lies anyway at least that's something that i can get behind
3: i mean and it's kind of a trash like it's no longer relevant it it was completely done for something that no longer matters so yeah i would i would i'd back that
1: and and no one likes it everyone hates it
3: i mean we like it that one day when you get to sleep in for a little bit, but then you hate it the other time of the year.
4: There's a, there's an entire psychological disorder birthed from it. I mean, it's, it's seasonal affected, uh, disorder, whatever it's called. I mean, people, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm all, I'm all about it and the pain and the suffering.
1: Yep. And, and for parents like having an extra hour on a clock or not, doesn't do anything but hurt us because the kids still wake (laughs) up whenever the hell they want to wake up. And then it just makes bedtime difficult and awkward and terrible. And it takes a couple weeks. Anyway, I'm, I'm telling you, it's it, there's a movement, there's a movement sweeping the nation, and we all need to get on board. 2020.
3: <laughs> 2020, get rid of daylight savings. Yeah,
1: I think you two should run. I am not legally allowed to run in this country as I'm not a. I don't think citizen. I'm
3: legally allowed to run yet.
1: Oh, no. I'm not. Oh
3: yeah, you have to be. I'll run for senate. I'll run <laughs> yeah, for senate.
1: Baby steps. All right. <laughs> Um, I wanted to start the show off kind of looking back at the regular season here and I just wanted to hear from you guys what what's one of your biggest memories or biggest moments of the season
4: as as the show as everyone knows the show is an Ohio State show so um, my my moment my moment was the Ohio State Penn State game uh, week five I want to say it was the last Saturday in September I was actually visiting a friend in Virginia. So I was kind of out of my comfort zone watching the game at a brewery. And, um, you know, I was pretty happy with the way the game was going almost all the way until the end. Uh, you know, when we had some questionable play calling, um, you know, when you look at the total stats, uh, Penn state outgained Ohio state by over a hundred yards, Ohio state had over a hundred yards in penalties, but they managed to win 27, 26, despite a otherworldly performance by trace McSorley, who threw for 286 yards and two touchdowns, no picks ran for 175 was pretty much the entire offense, but to Matt's delight, it was not to be. And, uh, yeah, the the beer drinking turned into uh, sad, frustrated beer drinking as opposed to celebratory beer drinking for me that day.
1: Yeah, that's rough.
3: It, it was pretty much celebratory for me that day, but yeah, I spent but I spent the first like two and a half hours of that game angrily yelling at people around me at a wedding. So
1: <laughs> we
3: were together in spirit. It right? balances. <laughs> yeah.
1: How about you, so, Matt? Pick us
3: up, Matt. So pick my <laughs> since. And I know, since I know what the one after this is, I'll, I'll break this up with some happiness here. Um, mine was the Ohio State-Michigan game, and it's pretty much because I had to watch all of game day in the Ohio Stadium with the game day crew just sitting there saying that they had to be objective and that they couldn't play to the fans. And that of course it was going to be um, a Michigan win. They had to think, they couldn't think with their hearts. Even Kirk curb street when forced to make a pick had to sit there and sadly say he was picking Michigan to win in Columbus. And then all of a sudden just bang, they just beat them down the entire game. And there are a few things that make me happier. Then knowing that Desmond Howard is sad, um, but that made me very, very, very happy, um, especially because it it did feel like a surprise because I went into that game genuinely saying, there's a chance that we get run off the field, and they just squashed that fear immediately.
1: Yeah, that was that was quite the beatdown. A philosophical question for you that you kind of alluded to here. Uh, and and we're gonna go deep. We're gonna go deep quick. What is more? What is a more powerful emotion for you? The sadness of defeat, or the joy in a rival's loss? I think I said that right.
3: So, do you, someone else being sad, yeah, or, or you, me being or happy. the opposite of or, me being happy versus yeah. somebody else being sad.
1: Yeah, but so like a rival being sad. Like, what do you get more joy in? Ohio State victories or Michigan losses? Essentially.
3: In fairness, like, I, so many of my – this is the spoiled Ohio State fan to me. Wins don't get me as excited as they should. Um, so in this case, Michigan continuing to have to deal with the fact that they hired this super expensive coach and then he continues to not being able to beat Ohio State makes me happier than actually winning the game.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Jordan, how do, how do you land on that spectrum?
4: I mean, that's a... I feel like that question has, like, really deep ramifications for <laughs> oh, the kind yeah. of I person did, you are.
1: Kind of <laughs> person.
4: That's what just happened. <laughs> that's some, like, really, really uh, introspective... Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I, ge- uh, I guess I'm say- kind of... the No, I mean, I guess I'm kind of the same as Matt. Like, I... I, I do enjoy when my team wins, but there is something it's terrible, but there is something special about seeing a rival suffer. Um, but I mean, I think that that's kind of, I think that the combination of those two things is sort of what makes college football special. And sure it's, it's in other sports as well, but yeah, I mean, I, I, re, it's, it's, it's not fair, I guess to, to answer it this way, but it's a little a bit of both. Um, cheater. Yeah. I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it is. It is a very introspective question, and it's very telling of the of the answer. These are the kind of questions that I get into on my other podcast. But uh, for me, I'm such a pessimist. Like I always kind of assume my team is gonna lose, and so when they finally win, even if they're supposed to win, it's just like a relief. Like there's not any joy. Just like oh, thank God they didn't lose. But when other teams actually lose, like teams I dis dislike. I get a lot of joy out of that, and a lot of joy watching it in the moment. So for me, it's it's not coming from a place of confidence, but of a place of fear and loathing, and uh, and there we go. So uh, I definitely find more joy. Well, or the experience or the emotion is much deeper. Anyway, my real,
4: real quick, real yeah. quick, hold on. I want to I want to turn this around. Let me grab <laughs> the host mic for a second, please. So do you think do you think that you feel that way because? that's just who you are or do you think that it's just because of like the current environment and the you know the 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 world that we live in that feels kind of pessimistic as a whole do you do you think it's do you think it's just something about you personally or do you think that that's just more of like a an atmospheric effect
1: no i think it's me because it's been like this for me even as a kid uh, so okay. I think it's just part of who I am and, and partially maybe why I chose a lot of the teams that I chose to support and root for because none of my, <laughs> none of my fandom is geographically based. Like I'm all over the place because I grew up overseas. So like I'm an Oregon Ducks fan. I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I'm a Miami Marlins fan. I, uh,
3: that last one's sad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're, they're all sad. What are you talking about? Oh man. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so my moment of the season uh, as you might suspect, is is one of absolute misery, and and just to really, you know, exude all of the stink from this match. I actually read a recap of it last night when I was thinking about this, and it just sent me spiraling. But it was the Oregon loss against Stanford that kind of was highlighted by Jake Hansen's botched snap that went way over Herbert's head that was returned for an eighty-yard touchdown. Um, but there was just a whole, just uh, play after play after play in that second half that that should have gone differently. I mean, Verdell trying to extend the play when we when he didn't need to, and fumbling and giving Stanford the ball back. I mean, that was the moment of the season. That center botch snap will be how I remember this this college football year. Um, on a positive note, the the play that like the the happy play that I'll remember is. Kyler Murray's pass to his tight end, Grant Calcaterra, in the final game of the Pac-12, not my goodness, the Big 12 championship game against Texas, where he just kind of floated it over the top to him and just landed perfectly. It was just an amazing catch by Calcaterra for I think that was his second touchdown on the game. To me, that highlights kind of the, the positives of this year. Kyler Murray really being a special athlete, taking over, winning the Heisman, not on that play, but that was kind of, to me, uh, a small encapsulation of of glory, and so that was my highlight for the year. I gave two because <clears throat> I'm allowed to cheat apparently, <laughs> <laughs> but I got something stuck in my throat. So uh, karma's a bitch, but we'll move on. Wednesday's uh, Wednesday's a big day. We've got uh, the early signing day for for recruiting and a lot to look forward to as an Oregon fan. I'm already excited. We're currently ranked like sixth in the country for a recruiting class, which is a lot better than usual. You guys spend a lot of time looking at recruiting stuff or do you just kind of wait and see what it looks like once they put on the the jerseys and they're out on the field?
3: I mean, I'd like to sit here and say that, no, I don't even think about recruiting because I know that Ohio State's already flush with talent. Um, Then I would be lying to you. Um, And I don't lie to our listeners. Um, uh, I follow this way too closely. I have like, four or five recruiters that I've uh like recruiting beat writers that I follow I actually just uh spoke to a former writer over at 11 Warriors uh now owns his own site about Ohio State today uh, I was sent back and forth with him about uh how Ohio State's gonna do um I follow it too closely and yeah it's kind of a problem it also doesn't help that uh the former host of this pod from last year um
1: Whose his name, name will like not a, be mentioned? I just blanked <laughs> on his name,
3: um, Kyle. Um, it doesn't help that uh, he is in a. I'm in a dynasty league with him. That actually, it's two leagues in one, where you actually are playing a college football dynasty league that turns into a uh, pro football dynasty league, and we have a 15 round freshman draft.
1: Oh my god, which is
3: insanity. So yeah, I. To say I don't follow it would be lying. So I follow it really closely.
4: I think that I think that I probably uh, paid more attention to it a couple years ago um, when I had a little less um, adult responsibilities. I guess you could say. Shh, but overrated. No, it, no, it totally is. It's just you know the grind. But I mean, I I try to keep tabs on it as much as I can. I know that like obviously right around this time of year uh, through bowl season is obviously when things start to really heat up. Um, So truthfully, I I think I probably pay less attention um, in the early, in the early sections of the recruiting, uh, recruiting cycles. But I probably, you know, my attention probably ramps up around around this time and um, you know, it's important. It's, it's, it's truly really important because it is it's the fuel that keeps uh, certain teams at the top, and it's what holds other teams back. So, I mean, it it is really important if you care about college football, obviously, and to kind of get an idea of what might be coming down the road. um, It can either be really exciting or really depressing depending on uh, what team you follow.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and even though, like, the official signing day, um, the, like, final day for signing isn't until uh, February, tomorrow is pretty much when... All of the elite, almost all of the elite players will sign. I think it was something crazy like 85% of the like top prospects signed on in the early signing period. It's actually the thing that it's like Nick Saban's first real like slip up as a college coach last year was underestimating how important this was because he thought that he was still going to have like a hundred of the top 300 players left to go and kind of flip, but I mean. After Wednesday, there's going to be, like, 20 guys in the top 300. And every single one of the top 30 programs in the country will know those 20 guys are the target. So it's going to be crazy. And they're going to have, by 24-7's, like, set up, by their scoring system, they're about to put together pretty much the greatest recruiting class of all time. So,
1: yeah, like, yeah
3: I mean... That like Jordan said, this is what keeps good programs good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's uh, and you always have some of those, some of those guys are like, man, this guy was a walk on, and now look at him, Baker Mayfield or whatever, you know. But those guys are are not near as common as the the four and five star guys that actually end up making it. But yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, we had a couple of bowl games last week. I will be honest, I did not catch very much football action of the college variety. Uh, primarily because of illness and all the grossness that goes along with parenting uh so so that kept me pretty pretty occupied but there was definitely a few games that I wanted to talk about and uh and one of them being the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl with Fresno State and Arizona State, I got to catch a little bit of this one uh but but matt I think you 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 saw quite a bit of this
3: this was actually so we were i 'm in like a work um pick them with like the confidence or whatever I had this game as my highest rated uh confidence game on Fresno State just because they'd been awesome this year uh and I expected their defense to pretty much shut down Arizona State because Arizona State was playing without Nikhil Harry who we'll talk about a little bit later he's awesome he and he was a huge part of their offense um And in the first half, I was really concerned because even though Arizona State was telegraphing that all they were going to do was give the ball to Eno Benjamin, he could do whatever he wanted to. He is an outright star. And second half, Fresno State kind of locked him up and eventually pulled away. But, I, I mean, if you're a fan of Arizona State, at least know next year you've got another year of Eno Benjamin to watch, and he is going to be... Very, very 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 important.
1: Yeah, he impressed yeah. me during Pac-12 play.
4: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to add real quick on Benjamin that he um, you know, every year when we when we do our predictions for, you know, college football, NFL, whatever, um wherever we wherever we write, you know, we have hits and misses, but I I do uh, I'm pretty proud that I that I had Benjamin in over the summer, I wrote like uh, an opportunity report for the for the uh, Power Five conferences, and I highlighted Benjamin because um, um, Demario Richard and Kalen Bulos were leaving, and I really thought that he had a chance to step in uh, to an offense that I thought could feature one back with the new coaching staff coming in, and he's obviously exceeded my expectations. But um, you know, I, I miss plenty of things, but uh, I just wanted to. <laughs> put put uh put that one up for a second because he he is he has truly been amazing this year as a true sophomore, um, as a receiver as well. I mean he was he has 300 carries, but he's been involved as a receiver um, over 1,900 total yards, 18 total touchdowns. So he you know again we keep talking about the 2020 running back class, but he needs to be in that discussion as well.
3: He he for sure does. He's going to be one of the guys that comes into this year. Initially behind guys like Dobbins, Swift, um, Etienne, and Taylor, but I don't think he's behind them. I think you should and could reasonably put him right there with all of them.
1: Yeah, he—he's this dude that you hit him and he's gonna get you two more, two or three more yards every single time. He just does not get knocked back. He's—he's he's got an engine.
4: And he's only about two hundred pounds, which which makes it even more impressive. He's not a big dude, but I mean he. He has a he has a really um, exciting running style. I, I don't like to, you know, use too much description just from watching tape. But I when you see him run, it's exciting to see him run. And I'm, I'm just I'm really excited to see what happens next year. Uh, you know, hopefully a little bit, perhaps maybe a little bit more weight, more time in the weight room. But he has a really bright future.
3: And if you play college fantasy football, there's he should very well be in the conversation for the running back one next year.
1: Yeah. Nice. All right, let's talk about the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. I was impressed. I didn't actually catch much of this, but I saw the scoreline and was pretty surprised. Uh, Appalachian State 45, Middle Tennessee State 13. Yeah. <laughs> this one took me by surprise.
3: I mean, I I expected Appalachian State to win. I thought they were the better team. This game I was a lot more concerned. Um because their staff is gone. like right. they yeah. The entire coaching staff left to go to Louisville because Louisville was in shambles. And when Satterfield left, he took everybody. So I'm a little bit surprised that they came out and dominated so well, particularly when you actually look at the stat line. They didn't really pass the ball super effectively. They only passed for 200 yards. They did rush the ball for a combined 233 yards. But really what it – I mean – They were just a a lot better team, and even though Brent Stock still played, I mean, reasonably well for uh, Middle Tennessee, he did have two uh, picks, and that, I mean, that's not the only thing that cost him, but it it definitely did not help the cause.
4: Just real quick, I wanted to touch on uh, Corey Sutton, the wide receiver from Appalachian State. Um, Like Matt said, they didn't necessarily throw the ball very well in this game, but overall, through this season he has a 0.34 dominator rating um, which eclipses the the, uh, 30% market share that we look at when we define true breakout season which we will talk about a little bit later in this podcast uh, when we go over the wide receivers but he's a redshirt sophomore I believe he originally was at Kansas State and then transferred sat out last year so I think he's about 21 years old so it's sort of a mediocre breakout age But uh, he's a guy that kind of, you know, he has length and he does have a breakout season. So um, I I don't necessarily think he's going to come out this year, but next year he will be a little bit older prospect, but he's one like kind of like a like an under the radar sleeper type guy that might be worth paying attention to.
1: Awesome. All right. So let's look ahead to this upcoming week. We'll have a show for you guys next week where we're looking at some of the uh, the New Year's Bowl games and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for this upcoming week, there's still some some pretty good games, and each one of us has a pick for you. Jordan, why don't you go ahead and, and lead the way?
4: Okay, so I'm going to the, the Birmingham Bowl, and I'm going to take Memphis minus three against Wake Forest. And a couple of reasons. I know that Daryl Henderson is not playing, um, who I think might be the running back one in this class, but that's for another conversation. Um, but uh, Patrick Taylor Jr. and Tony Pollard are I believe both playing so they should be able to fill in and those two together uh you know they shouldn't be an enormous drop off for the Memphis offense on the ground Demonte Cox wide receiver he's averaged over 10 yards per target this year uh he should be uh in a good spot against the Wake Forest defense that ranks 114th in opponent's completion percentage almost 64% on the season S&P Plus has Memphis favored by 12 in this game so you're You know, using that, you're getting nine points of value. And Greg Dortch, who is uh, Wake Forest's best player on offense, is questionable with a finger injury. He may end up playing, but that's the kind of injury that could really affect a wide receiver's play. So, um, you know, no Henderson, which gives me a little bit of pause because he is so explosive. But uh, a couple factors, I think, give Memphis the edge here. I trust in Mike Norvell. Yeah.
3: Um, And I'll jump in here. I'm going with the uh, Armed Forces Bowl. Um, And Houston, based on the line I saw today, was getting three and a half points against Army. I know it's kind of, it feels a little like blasphemous to pick against the Armed Forces in the Armed Forces Bowl. (laughs) But if I'm getting points with Houston um, against a team I think they should be a favorite against, potentially as much as even a touchdown favorite against I'm going to take uh, Houston there. Uh, I know Ed Oliver is sitting out of the game. Um, the perk of that thought is I don't think that he matters that much because I think Houston's defense kind of sucks regardless. Uh, Army is going to do their best to keep the ball away, but I think uh, the explosiveness of Derek King is going to be a little bit too much for Army, and if this game gets even up into the like high 20s, even low 30s, which it should based on Houston's offense. I'm not sure that Army is going to be able to hang with their athleticism.
1: Yeah, I actually wanted to pick this one as well for a lot of the same reasons you said, but I saw on the show doc that you had already put this one in there, so I couldn't. Uh, So I went elsewhere, but I do like that pick. I I think Houston will have a nice showing. Um, Yeah, I'm going to the Hawaii Bowl, Louisiana Tech versus Hawaii. Just a couple of thoughts. So Louisiana Tech is kind of limping into this game, having lost three of their last four. And it's not been very pretty ever since they got bowl eligible. So I think that plays a factor as well. Um, a couple of other thoughts here. Hawaii is 0-15-1 and against the spread in its last 16 Jesus. games as a favorite. So if they're favored, you don't want that. Louisiana Tech is 6-1 and against the spread in its last seven games as a road underdog. Well, good for me. This is a pick 'em, so I don't have to worry about any of those numbers, and I get to pick Hawaii because that's who I want to take. Uh, so if if this ends up moving to uh, to minus one for Hawaii, maybe I'll back off just because of historical precedence, But I don't I don't think I will. I think I'm gonna stick with Hawaii. They've got the home field advantage. They've got they've had some great quarterback play down the stretch. They've got two quarterbacks that are really slinging it, and their uh, their freshman quarterback and still. Uh, retain his redshirt status even with one more game. So he he should be able to see some time as well. So I, I like Hawaii in this one to win and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, we're going to move on to kind of the uh, the meat of this show. We've had a little philosophy sprinkled in, in the beginning, but now we're going to get to the good stuff here. We're going to talk about wide receiver prospects so that you can get ready for fantasy football for next year and even just give you some idea on draft day the nfl draft that is when you see these names taken just kind of what we think about them what their outlook is for the future and and kind of what their history has been so gentlemen um if you guys want to to lead this portion of the program that would be fantastic yeah you want to start matt
3: yeah i'll start off. um so i'm gonna start off with a guy who currently By most, like, Debbie ADPs and by a lot of, like, early projected rookie rookie draft ADPs, um, he looks like he's going to be in the conversation for the 1.01 in most Dynasty League drafts. Uh, It's Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. As I mentioned uh, before, he did sit out of the bowl game. Not really worried about that. I think he probably should have done that because... We've seen guys get injured, and he's one of those guys that has a legitimate first round potential for him. So uh, I'm kind of fine with it. He's six foot four, 213 pounds. He is just 21 years old, so that's he's not an old prospect. Um, over his career, he has a 31 uh, percent career market share of the team passing yards, which is. Great, it's well over the 29% threshold that we typically are hoping for, for the course of your career. Um, His breakout age was during his age 19 season. Uh, He had a .36 dominator, so it was the true breakout. Um, Some people like to use a .2 uh, as that, and we've kind of when I look at that, kind of in relative to where it actually stands, it's it's usually around like the hundredth player. Uh, at the position is about a point two dominator so as much as I respect other sites who use that as their threshold it's not really valid if you're looking for these elite receivers so it's kind of that's why we tend to trend a little bit higher and there have been some studies that uh, we'll kind of get into uh, that show that it's better to be around that point three Uh, he's never had a season where he's had less than 30 percent of the team's touchdowns. So his lowest season was actually 32% of the team's touchdowns and using Kevin Cole's regression tree that he created a few years ago, he actually has a 30% success rate, uh, historical success rate, which is determined to be within your first three seasons. Will you have at least a one wide receiver two season? So there's a lot of upside for him. It does look like he's a a strong prospect who's going to have a first round draft grade on him and Uh, Looking at the draft network, they do describe his best trait as his hands. Um, So you're not really having to worry about him being uh, struggling in contested catch points. So unlike some of the other guys we'll get into on this list, he wasn't exactly surrounded by talent. So he did kind of have to deal with the best coverage around him. Really impressive prospect. He's one of the reasons why I'm actually so excited about this class and um for his career, it's definitely worth mentioning he does have a .35 dominator, so looks like a strong candidate to be the 1.01 next year.
1: Where would you like to see him land uh, Land in the NFL? Like a realistic landing spot? Because he'll probably go, what, top, oh, man. top 12, top 15 overall, you think?
3: Yeah, he's definitely up that high. I'll have to quickly look at what the uh, current projected draft order is right now, but...
1: I wouldn't be shocked to see the Jets take him personally. I I think he would be a really great weapon for for their young quarterback, Darnold. And and I, I fear could see the something Bills like that happen.
3: Up taking him. Oh god, and that'll make me sad.
1: Well it just means he'll be an awesome breakout receiver for the Rams in three years.
3: It means he'll take targets away from the receiver. Actually, like there's a Jones, but um, I mean, if we're looking around that, I don't think he'll go as high as the. I think Jacksonville is going to have to make a decision, and I don't. I think there's a real chance that they're not going to make this the year to take a quarterback because this isn't a strong quarterback class, particularly if Haskins doesn't come out. I think there's a chance Jacksonville looks at a wide receiver, um, just because after they lost uh, Allen Robinson, they don't really have a, a really elite dude anymore. So Jacksonville will probably be my favorite landing spot for quite a few teams just because I think their front office actually is sort of intelligent.
1: Yeah. And they need someone for Flacco to throw the football to next year. So,
3: yeah. And I mean, every one of these ones, my dream spot is probably green Bay, but we'll just take them off the list.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jordan.
4: Yeah. So transitioning from Harry, um, who is, has a really good chance of going in the first round of the NFL draft. um, I'm going to move to Calvin Harmon, wide receiver from NC state. 6'3", 214, another guy who I think has an outside shot of landing in the first round. Um, he posted a .3 dominator rating uh, this season at age 21, so he hit that threshold that Matt just uh, outlined. And Anthony Amico, um, fellow writer on of viz and a bunch of other things, um, he actually did some work last year where he identified the importance of simply having a breakout season Um, I want to say players drafted in the top 100 picks without a breakout season only hit 11% of the time opposed to about 35% of the time for those with a breakout season. So that's just something to keep in mind when we're looking at these guys that that 0.3 number has been shown to be significant statistically in the past. Um, his career market share is 025 and referencing Kevin Cole's regression tree, like Matt just mentioned, um, he actually falls on the other side of that career market share number, but based on his final season stats and his age, he falls into a cohort that that uh, historically has produced uh, or is hit at a 32% rate. So he still has a pretty good chance um, based on those three metrics. Um, and I know that, again, referencing the draft network, which I faith, Uh, I know there are other sites out there that provide, you know, scouting reports and everything, but I I like the work that they do there. And obviously they they note his size and uh, physicality, his ball skills, the way he attacks the ball, and he's actually pretty fluid um, for his size. And and they peg him as, you know, the ideal X receiver who could play in basically any scheme. So um, it seems like he can fit in, you know. A bunch of different offensive uh, schemes probably on the outside given his size and his ball skills downfield um he's a guy that i've you know been pretty high on for a while now uh the the one thing that some people might point to is his lack of touchdown production given his size um he's only he had seven touchdowns this year uh four the year prior five the year prior to that And, and it's, it's kind of funny because a lot of people uh, mention the similarity in appearance to Harmon and Julio Jones, and there might be some linkage there with the lack of touchdown production, but that's not necessarily to say that he can't do it at the next level. It's just something that some scouts might point to or just analysts when we roll up to the NFL draft, but I'm high on Harmon. Um, you know, his, his production is pretty good, and I think that he has the physical ability to really develop into something special at the next level. Um, he's, I mean, he's a no-brainer first-round rookie draft pick. Uh, it just depends on how high you are on him as to where he would
1: fall, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm I mean, really I, high on him myself.
3: I, I definitely think you could make a case for him anywhere in the top five. Yeah. I'll do with my – I have my last first-round pick projected guy here with A.J. Brown, who is out of Ole Miss. He's 6'1", 225 pounds. Uh, he's 21 and a half. So he's not not old by any stretch, not super-duper young. Um, he's not like Juju Smith-Schuster young. but So he had his breakout season again during his age 19 season with a .36 dominator. That's going to put him in a pretty strong crowd because there is – uh, Anthony Miko's has done some work to find there is actually benefit to breaking out before the age of 20. Brown has that. It's very strong. Um, his career market share is only 25% of the team yards, which is below the ideal 29% or below the 29%. Um, he's not really a field stretcher. It's kind of the biggest complaint about him. He's His career average is 15.8, which while that doesn't sound like He's running these short routes. The biggest criticism on him is actually his speed and his burst. So if you're looking for a guy who's going to create these big explosive plays, that's probably not him. But to put in comparison, like I said, he has a 15.8. That's very similar to an A.J. Green level of yardage per catch. So still a strong prospect there's really no red flags about him I'm gonna reference draft network the same way because I've same as Jordan I think if I'm gonna trust somebody on film to do film scouting I'm gonna trust guys on the draft network I think they do their job very well they say his best uh, his best trade is his route running he looks like an overall strong prospect he has a 72 percent 72 percent catch rate on 118 targets this year Seventh in the country in total receiving yards. He does kind of look like he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to have very large volume. And while he might not do it in huge chunks, he's also not a Jarvis Landry type who's going to get you seven yards per play. He's going to get you close to that 10-yard mark per each one. On the regression tree, he hits the 32% uh, success rate, largely because of his age and the fact that he did have a final season that was over, I think it's like 900-something yards, so strong prospect. He looks like he's going to be towards the back end of the first, uh, first round. If you're in rookie drafts, he's another guy. He's going to be in that top five. He's another re- one that people are excited about. If he lands in a, if he lands in a good landing spot, uh, I mean, I'm going to anywhere where there are yards to be uh, had for a rookie. He's going to be one of those guys that's in the competition or in conversation for the one Oh one, I I think he's probably a notch below the other two just because I think the other two bring a level of big play excitement that he doesn't. But I also think he's going to be a pretty safe bet with whatever team he goes with. Of all these guys, I think he's, for me, the least likely to fail.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I I like your point, too, about just talking about where they might land I think all three of these guys depending on the situation depending on the quarterback and then also the competition at the wide receiver position or the scheme of the team like each one of them could be the first receiver that we want to take and potentially the first pick overall um so I think that's really good to uh to point out Jordan who you got for us
4: yeah so I'm gonna go to AJ Brown's teammate uh DK Metcalf from Ole Miss he's 6'4 225 you know impressive size he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, Again, referencing uh, one of the mock drafts from the Draft Network from just, I think, just last week. They had him going sixth overall to the Bills. So this is a guy who, as I'll get into here shortly, is probably more projection than what we actually know for sure at this point. But obviously people think very highly of him. uh, So he could also land in the first round, depending on... uh, What transpires between now and then, but the one thing, the one thing that's really important to keep in mind with Metcalf is how much time he's missed from injury. Um, As a freshman in 2016, as a true freshman, he scored touchdowns in in each of his first two games, but then broke his foot and missed the last 10 games of the season, so completely lost season. Um, You know, it's it's difficult to be able to kind of project what would have happened, pretty much in. Possible to do so but um it you know things like that can really skew uh, a player's profile and i think it's important to keep that in mind it doesn't necessarily override what we know um from what they've done but it's important to keep it in mind whenever we're thinking about them tr- projecting them um he does not have a breakout season he he has not hit that 0.3 dominator threshold which again um the studies that we've referenced that that is important um 11 again Again, I mentioned 11% of wide receivers drafted in the top 100, which Metcalf probably will be. Uh, only 11% have, have turned a wide receiver two season in their first three seasons. Um, but I think that for Metcalf, his size is really enticing. I mean, he, you know, if you just look at him, he looks like he's the ideal type of outside wide receiver, the like the Julio Jones type. I think that if his medicals come back, um, and also I should mention uh, his 2018 season as a red shirt sophomore was cut short with a neck injury. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, a lot of reasons why his production is, is low, but on his career 67 receptions, he's averaged over 18 yards a catch has 14 touchdowns. So he's been, he's been efficient in a small sample size. And if his medicals come back, okay, if he checks out medically and if he runs well at the combine, I think that he has an immense ceiling as far as how NFL evaluators will look at him. He, again, he is a bit of a projection just because we haven't seen him on the field much, but I think physically, and I think how NFL evaluators will look at him. I think Metcalf's ceiling is immense.
3: He's going to be one of the guys uh, this year. That's the, the fight between the film scout and the, analytics scout because his numbers don't really represent that of a first-round pick. But at the same time, when you start to factor in the things like, look who he was lined up against, uh, look how physical he is, he does kind of fit the mold of a first-round pick. It's just when you stare at him from a uh, his numbers, there are real reasons to be concerned. But I do like him a lot. I think he, he's actually would be my favorite to go to the Bills because he is kind of that project D player that could... I mean, they took a chance on Josh Allen, so obviously numbers don't matter that much to them. So, I mean, they if they take their shot here, he's probably the right guy.
1: Yeah, great. Why don't you uh, lead us into the next one, Matt?
3: So I'm going to go now a little bit deeper. Um, he's a well-known name, but he's probably not a first-round pick, and that's Paris Campbell out of Ohio State. He is... Uh, he has no breakout season during his career, his best season ever as a dominators this year with a 0.22, which is well below that, uh, 0.30 that we look for, as Jordan mentioned, uh, only 11% of top 100, uh, wide receivers have that 200 PPR season. Um, I'm not sure that matters for him because I'm not positive. He's going to go in the top 100. Um, but because of his age, he was actually pretty young, uh, He's going to in the regression tree. He did have a thirty-two percent success rate, largely again because final season was very strong, and he is on the younger end. I think he he kind of fits the similar mold of Curtis Samuel because he's been used in kickoffs. He's done some uh, several rushing attempts. I don't really like player comparisons, but I do kind of think he's a he's a bigger version of Tavon Austin, Theo Riddick, Curtis Samuel. Those guys are all around f- between five nine and five eleven, but fast and can be utilized out of the backfield as well as um, lining up in the slot. And I think that's probably where he's best put. Um, when you look, I mean, there's not a great argument for him with just his numbers because his career high season's less than a thousand yards. He has nine ninety two right now, but he has eleven touchdowns. His highest career market share in yardage is only twenty one percent. Now. I do kind of always have to say you have to recalibrate on an Urban Meyer offense because even guys like Michael Thomas didn't have good market shares. So um, kind of recalibrate for him. The one thing that's uh, worth noting for him is uh, ESPN recruiting profile listed as high school 40 times 4.41 seconds. I actually expect he will improve upon that at the combine um, in high school. He was a track star. His coach thought he actually – had a chance to be an Olympic level sprinter Uh, had he focused on that. He ran a 10.7, meter dash for his team during his senior season. And obviously the big play that everyone remembers is that little flip pass uh, during the Michigan game where he pretty much made the entire Michigan defense look slow. Like I said, he's not really uh, the same numbers prospect. He's probably going to be another guy that people want to argue over, but I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the first round rookie conversation. And if you put him with an offensive coordinator, that's creative, he'll get the ball in his hands and he should make an impact. And I didn't mention this, but he's six one, he's 208 pounds. So he's not small by any means.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he is. He's lightning fast. I, 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 I like him as a kind of a deep, deeper play. Um, and, and, in all formats, really, I think even if you're not in a dynasty league, even just drafting regularly, he'll be someone to to keep your eye on late, depending on where he ends up, because he definitely has uh, some serious serious potential.
4: So, going from Paris Campbell, gonna gonna switch over to David Sills, uh, wide receiver from West Virginia. He's six foot four to ten, is what I have him listed as. Um, you know, if you've been paying attention to college football in the last two seasons, you probably know who David Sills is because of his insane touchdown production. Uh,
3: That's putting it 30, like
4: 33 touchdowns the last two seasons. Um, but he he's a, he's a really interesting uh, story, uh, took a really interesting path to get to where he is today. He was famously recruited as a quarterback at age 13 by then USC head coach Lane Kiffin, was offered a scholarship in one of those, you know, you can debate how real that is and how media driven that is, but whatever, it happened. And he eventually he eventually landed at West Virginia as a quarterback as a freshman, switched to wide receiver partway through his freshman season. Had two touchdown receptions, 131 yards in a limited role, but was effective, uh, especially given you know he was playing a completely new position. Um, following 2015, he transferred to junior college to play quarterback because. He wanted to play quarterback and didn't think he would get the chance at West Virginia. Sort of struggled and eventually transferred back to West Virginia. And 2017, he's been one of the most insane producers in the game. There have been 28 receivers with uh, 35 or more touchdowns since the 2000 season. And Sills ranks first in touchdown rate, 27%, and third in touchdowns per game among that group. His dominator rating in 2017 was 0.37, which breaks our threshold. Uh, although it came at age 21, 21.6, so is a little bit of a late breakout. And he will be something interesting. Um, that Blair Andrews, another writer, wrote of his did, is he looked at the age of rookie wide receivers, their age whenever they played their first season, and, and uh, wide res- in his study, wide receivers that play their rookie year at age 23 uh, produced a 200-point PPR season around 13% of the time. So obviously, you know, the theme we've been laying down here is um, younger, is, is is better as far as wide receiver prospects are concerned. Sills will be on the older side, which is definitely something to note. He was extremely good in the red zone, never crossed 1,000 000- yards uh despite having all those touchdowns so he was used inside uh the scoring area scouts think that he's probably best suited for a vertical passing game uh more of a straight line type athlete i think as opposed to agile in short areas which given his size makes sense i think he's probably a late day two nfl draft guy um and i think that i'm just interested to see how he runs assuming he gets a combine invite because I don't really know exactly what to expect um, and I think that those results could drastically impact the way that NFL teams see him and thus how we should view him in the dynasty community
1: Right? yeah I'd love to see him end up on the Seahawks just because you can get him kind of late and he's got I, I love this guy he's got I, I've really enjoyed watching West Virginia this year and uh, and he's one of the big reasons why I mean dude just dude just balls out
4: yeah, I mean, I think that in the in the right situation, he could play, you know, a really similar role to the to the one that he played at West Virginia. His his route running scouts think that it's actually pretty well developed, given the not super fancy route tree at receiver and the fact that he's only been playing the position for two and a half years. Yeah. So I mean, he's he again. I guess he's kind of a projection, despite the production. But if teams think he can grow and keep developing at the position, um, it's hard to slight him for what he's done on the field.
3: And from Sills, uh, we'll jump over to a guy who is another pretty much a projection-type player coming out of uh, the wide receiver factory that is Colorado State. We'll go with Preston Williams. He's six foot four, two 210 pounds, um, despite actually being a – A fourth-year player. He's still under the age of 22 years old. Put up a .45 dominator this season, which is credit to coach uh, Mike... I'm going to get his name wrong. Mike Bobo? I hope it's Bobo. Um, Mike Bobo, the way he utilizes his top wide receiver, uh, even though they had other talent there, he knew that he should be throwing to Preston Williams... Uh, put up 1,345 yards this year with 14 touchdowns, had 37% uh, share of the yards. He was originally at Tennessee and between tearing his ACL one year and some off field issues, um, he eventually transferred to Colorado state because he did have a relationship with the aforementioned Mike Bobo. And in the, Regression tree, we've mentioned a few times, he has a 32% historical success rate. And it is uh, that 1,345 yards I mentioned before was actually fourth in the nation in receiving yards. So looks like a pretty strong prospect. Uh, He does look like sort of a later round pick, particularly because he will, when we go through the draft process, it is going to come up that his off-field issues were uh, due to a domestic violence allegation at the age of 21. While the actual allegation charges were dropped, he did plead guilty to a harassment charge. So he's maybe not the greatest person, but he does have some skill. Draft Network lists his best trade actually as athleticism and his worst trade as tracking and his hands. So while he is a, he's going to probably test well at the combine. There should be a little bit of concern i uh, for him as an actual overall prospect. I do kind of like him, though, if he is a third rounder later pick in your rookie drafts. Because with the right landing spot, he definitely will be someone who could perform well in a camp and work his way up a depth chart relatively quickly. So name worth keeping an eye on. He's probably a little bit of a dark horse right now just because of he really only has one year of success. But, I mean, we've seen what Rashard Higgins has become relevant in Cleveland. And Michael Gallup, if Dak Prescott were even kind of accurate, would be in the middle of having a great season.
1: I like how you threw a little bit of shade on Dak there. That's beautiful. It's true. <laughs> it's true, I, though. I it's looked true. At the,
3: if you look at their, their like, area-yard distribution, where Daki Prescott prefers to throw is exactly where Michael Gallup uh, is, where his area-yard distribution is. So they should be, thr- like, they should be connecting all game. But for some reason, Michael Gallup has been incredibly inconsistent. So it's, it's Dak's fault.
1: Yeah. And yesterday, Cooper was... In, uh, I don't don't get me started. I'm gonna go to my fantasy football tirade. Uh, can just... J- Jordan, can you can you talk about uh, your little brother from a different mother? What <laughs> he has a oh, son.
3: That man. <laughs> was beautiful.
4: Yeah, was... yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: <laughs> if you know where we're going, it makes a little bit of sense.
4: <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah, it, some people might be confused for those for those catching it. They're probably standing in and applauding right now for that transition, but. Uh, another guy with this really one season of big time production and a guy that, not, you know, I don't think he's decided on declaring yet or not as of this recording, but Lil Jordan Humphrey, uh, Texas wide receiver. He's six foot four twenty five. You know, if you paid attention to Texas this year, you've probably noticed him multiple times for his downfield ability, uh, his run after the catch ability and his apparent athleticism at especially at his size so far this season he has a 0.32 dominator so he crosses that threshold Uh, and this is his year uh, his 20 year season so that's a relatively early breakout which is something else we like to look at and that same study that i referenced before from blair andrews um wide receivers that play their rookie year at age 21 which uh, Humphrey would, assuming that he declares and gets drafted, they've actually gone on to have at least one wide receiver two season in PPR scoring more than 40% of the time. So that's the kind of hit rate that we really like to see. Uh, and again, it just speaks to how important youth is. Again, I, I think that there there's a chance that he comes back. I, I looked as hard as I could today, and I could not find anything definitive. It, I even saw an article that referenced his uh, his mom's Twitter account where she was talking about how she wants him to come back, but she will support him no matter what he does. So I have nothing definitive. If he does declare, I think that, that he's a guy that if he goes to the combine, he could explode. And I think that if he declares, I think he's his draft stock could could jump significant, significantly from what we might think it is now, and he's someone that I'm just really interested in. Um, so, you know, keep your eye out if we see an early declaration. Humphrey is a guy that that I'm pretty excited about.
1: Talked a lot about him on the show too. I mean, he's really popped in a lot of the a lot of games this this year, and and not yeah. just not just his numbers, but I mean, his play on the field is really impressive. And like you said, like, he just moves really well for a uh, very large man <laughs> like he's he's an impressive athlete for sure.
3: He'll be a favorite among team big wide receiver uh if he actually does declare. And we've pretty much
4: stuck we pretty much stuck to team big wide receiver for the most part in this in this preview I just re- just now realized.
3: I don't think I I don't think I highlighted a guy that was under 210 so I mean we didn't touch on the, some of the names and part of the reason why we we had to limit ourselves on this class cuz I actually I've, I've mentioned this a few times. I love this class. I think it's one of the better classes we've had in a few years. Um, other guys that we'll probably have to keep note of Colin Johnson, the other big wide receiver in Texas. He's potentially going to commit, I actually think, or declare he's more likely than the little Jordan Humphrey. Riley, other Lee. people love him. I think he's trash. Marquise Brown is the one small wide receiver in this class. Five eight, generously, um, one hundred seventy pounds. He'll be a guy to watch at the combine because he might explode. Debo Samuel. He wasn't the South Carolina wide receiver anyone was really talking about going into the year, but he had a big, uh, productive year. JJ Ortega Whiteside, who uh, I know Stefan has touchdown uh, machine, a touchdown machine. Touchdown
1: machine.
3: Demarcus Lodge is the is the forgotten name at Ole Miss a lot of the time because he's just surrounded by so much talent. And uh, I put out an article on Anthony Johnson, who's a former junior cop prospect um, who uh, ended up going to Buffalo. One of the best dominator seasons last year, he followed it up with another strong season. Looks like he's going to be an early, uh, potentially an early day to pick. If he does slip a little bit, wouldn't be overly surprising, but another big wide receiver. And that's kind of what this class is, is it's a bunch of big wide receivers who all do kind of different things. Um, and through all this, I didn't even get to mention the one who would be my favorite prospect. But it looks like he's going to stay at school. And that's Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. But to see.
1: Yeah, it'll give you some something to enjoy on Saturdays next year because we all know how much you love him. And uh, yeah, definitely check out that, that article on Anthony Johnson. That's that's good stuff right there. Where, where can people find your work, Matt?
3: I'm writing now at a couple months. Still have my weekly roto baller rotoballer, and I'm working uh, primarily just Jordan that we've used um, for all the bowl games. Uh, I should have one on, uh, like I said, I had it come out today. We'll have another Mike Weber coming soon. And depending on if I prospects that I really find that down and write about, I probably have a few more come out.
1: Awesome. And Jordan, how about you? What are you working on? Other than uh, bowl preview stuff right now, or is that everything? Is that taking up all of your time?
4: Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm working on right now. I have, uh, I think, four in the hopper, yeah. just waiting for waiting for the dates to roll around. And tis the season. Try and keep cranking. Yeah, try and keep cranking out as many of those as possible. Uh, we're obviously paying very close attention to prospects, underclassmen declaring, guys not playing. in bowl games so it makes this project a little bit difficult yeah but uh we're gonna try and stay on top of it as much as possible and give you as much information uh relevant as as we can
1: yeah so be sure to follow the guys on twitter you can find all the articles coming out and as always we appreciate you listening look forward to some some fun games this weekend and then next week of course it's christmas week so we'll have a show out for you a little bit later in the week but we will get into some of the big bowl games and give you everything you need to know or what we think you should know that it might be wrong (laughs) Uh, going into those big games so thanks again have a great week and we'll talk to you soon